Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Copa with Felipe Cardenas. I am your host, and I'm joined once again by my colleague, Pablo Maurer. Pablo, what's happening, man? How are you? I'm great. This is the 13th take of this intro. <laughs> At what point do I get partial ownership of Copa? I think I've been been on three or four episodes in a row. Good no, question. it's good to be here. Good question. No, we're, no. we're sitting here in a conference room at the New York Times headquarters, which is bizarre. It is. Know? It is. I mean, hey, uh, in in case you missed that one, yes, the Athletic is now part of the the the, the New York Times. We're here for a couple of days, meeting some editors from the UK that we have not had FaceTime with. Uh, uh, I think also it's just a good time to get together. Like we, our, our colleagues at the years, Athletic, man. it's been years. Yeah. I think 2019 was the last time we were together. I don't know if we're technically allowed to be in the New York Times building. <laughs> I'm wearing a UPS uniform right now. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. walked right around. by the front desk. Um, but no, what, what, are we, what are we here to talk about today? All right. So we thought, you know, we, we have these interviews uh, with – a number of coaches that we did in during the preseason in Florida. We Jim Curtin, obviously that that interview is out. That Q and A is out. Uh, I think Pablo and I are going to work on how to edit that conversation into a podcast. We'll see. <laughs> it's quite the conversation, a long one. There were several beers involved, but uh, it was great. The Q and A is out, and I think it was just a standard great Q and A from Jim Curtin. We spoke with uh, Phil Neville as well. That Q&A was also very... <laughs> Notably, we spoke with yes, Phil Neville. We did yeah. speak with Phil Neville, yeah. uh, which I thought, again, a, a great interview from uh, a very well-known coach in this league and around world football who gave great opinions about the league and his, and his POV on where the league's going. A lot on Inter-Miami, a lot on Joseph Martinez, a lot on, on just what is the expectation around that club. And so today... We are going to release our interview and our Q&A with Josh Wolf, head coach of Austin FC. Pablo, what were your main takeaways? Because it was a much different interview than what we had with Phil Neville, a much different interview from what we had with Jim Curtin as well. What do you take away from Josh Wolf? Yeah, I mean, a few things. I think I think he was pretty open, um, maybe more so than most coaches we've spoken to about how he wants Austin to play, about his, uh, his philosophy, his, his tactical philosophy, um, had some interesting thoughts on the U.S. national team situation, the you know head coaching ser- search. But it is it's interesting to me. I mean, you only have three or four coaches, nonetheless. Uh, guys like Bruce Arena, Greg Vanny, um, who's the other one I'm blanking on, Peter Vermees, that are uh, sort of have this hybrid head coach CSO role. So um, Josh Wolf, who um, you know only has a few years of head coaching experience, has a chance to really, really put a stamp on Austin in the long term and sort of, um, you know, craft his vision of that club and, and sort of enact it. So it's a huge opportunity for him. Um, it should be noted that this is – this the uh, interview was recorded before Austin went out and laid an egg against St. Louis City. Tough but, loss you know, to St. Louis They played City. well, though. They, they, they were dominant through stretches of that game. So Yeah, and uh, the thing about Josh Wolf is that in talking to him, he doesn't sound like – an inexperienced coach. He, he doesn't come off as a guy who's 
in his third year as a head coach. Uh, he has a lot of history. You know, I mean, look, of, and he's he's played in he's multiple played, World Cups. Yeah, he played in like, Germany. He was a standout absolutely. midfielder in MLS. I mean, um, I don't know. He won the 2006 Gold Cup. Hey, <laughs> Whatever that's hey. worth, you know. So certainly, like you know, um, calling him an experienced is probably a little yeah. misleading. He um, he certainly has the ped- pedigree to to be in the position that he's in. And in, in an interesting position that you brought up, Pablo. I think that 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 was. I wouldn't say it was a big part of our conversation, but it was a question that I was really. Uh, looking forward to asking him about this role that he has. He's not only the head coach, but yes, he's now the sporting director following Claudio Reyna's departure from Austin, uh, from Austin FC. Uh, and it seems like, again, and just talking to him, that it was somewhat of a seamless move for him. Uh, when I asked him a, a question about the negotiation for Sebastian Drusi and his extension, he is it just the answer just rolled off his tongue. Like, I would have been involved anyway. Uh, and he just he does sound like he's just very well informed on – the, the, the world of football, the business world of football. He understands it. Uh, so, yeah, I think Austin FC certainly have a good leader on the touchline. And it was another good interview, Pablo. So what, what do you say? Why don't, why don't we get started with this one? Let's do it. All Here's right. Josh Wolf. Josh Wolf, head coach, Austin FC. Basic question. What are you getting out of the preseason? What have you seen? What do you like? areas of improvement so far? Um, I think the first part of preseason is getting guys physically up to speed. There's off-season preparation. There's, um, you know, the workouts, the plans that they have in place when the season ends to get rest and to build up from a physical standpoint. So I think that's the initial um, objectives of, of preseason. Then we have some new ideas that we're layering in and, and uh, obviously integrating some new players. So we lost some players unexpectedly. We replaced them. Um, we picked up some players along the way as well. So integrating guys to what our, our standards and norms are, the way we play, um, kind of that onboarding process, and then also introducing some new ideas. I think it's important to keep evolving. I think year one, we saw things we needed to adjust. Year two, saw some successes with that. And year three, there's there were some slight modifications or alterations to what we do, maintaining our philosophy and our methodology by what we do, but um, trying to become better and be still be who we are, but um, enhance who we are a little bit. We want to ask you about tactical evolution in a second, but what? First of all, how many preseason games have you played? Five. This will be our sixth. Okay, because we, we talked to Kurt and they played like seven games. Yeah, and is, I think that's right. Right? You yeah. feel that's a good number? I think it depends on where you are and um, kind of your build out. I think year one, when there's so much onboarding and new information, yeah. I think we had five games, which, or maybe it was six. Okay. Um, the more understanding your players have, the more comfort they have inside. Um, your structure and, and setup, I think games are a better evaluation. And I, you know, we wrote it down yesterday, but this will be our sixth game. It'll probably be our sixth or seventh formation that we've that we played that's different. So I think that's really, really good for us to document some of what opponents look like structure-wise and how that hinders us or helps us in certain ways. So from that standpoint, it's been it's been a real positive. But I'd say six or seven games is probably like a decent amount. What do you, go ahead, go ahead. You know, what do you make of? Uh, it seems like obviously when you joined the league, when the club joined the league, you guys wanted a lot of the ball. We talked to Dom Kinnear yesterday mm-hmm. for a while. He mentioned also as a, a club that maybe was a little more flexible last year, maybe uh, varied that approach yeah. from game to game and obviously had some success doing that. What do you make of where the club is at tactically right now and that sort of approach? I think it's I think it's pretty good. I think, um, you know, year one, it's again, it's, it's 30 new players. You know, four or five of them I've worked with previously, so you are introducing a lot of new ideas, positional play, um, some slight uh, 
you know, flexibility inside the structure of, of wanting to keep the ball. I mean, what that means to each person is different. But last year, I'd say we actually we actually made it a little bit more, you know, more regimented. If you want to use, we, we didn't have our fullbacks going forward terribly much. They were a little more narrow um, to help with a little bit of transition. Um, you know, just specifying roles, and then as we sustained attacks, we had a little bit more flexibility and mobility in, in the final third. And, and we just, again, refined it, um, repeated it, refined it, repeated, and kind of just made it a little bit more clear, a little bit easier for our guys. And, and defensively, we've been pretty consistent. We have a little bit of flexibility in that structure as well. So we're just trying to build on on those same ideas. Maintaining the ball is, is important. It's not everything. At the end of the day, you want to create goal scoring chances. Everything we're doing is about how many clear you know, really good opportunities can we create? And I think what we're finding with what we're doing this year is we have a, a different verticality and ability to go quickly, which can be dangerous. So you got to be mindful of transition, but um, you know, still keeping an idea of, of, of who we are and maintaining possession in the, the opposition's final third and overloads and getting in line and so forth. But um, it's still about creating goals, and that's you know, that's the fundamental why we play the game. What's a new idea? Like, what's one thing that you've introduced that has been a focal point of this preseason, perhaps? Um, just the flexibility of starting positions okay. for some guys. It's more that. I think, um, you know, we would say even the first two years, if you assume the role of an attacking mid, you assume the role of attacking mid. You're running a wing progression. You're arriving in the box. And if you're an attacking mid that now assumes the role of the fullback, you are the fullback. So adhering to those roles and responsibilities for positions, but we've just given a little bit more flexibility in, in our build-up structure, and we, what we've seen is, what we expected and what we've seen is, it's, it's also helped us with our defensive transition. So, we'll see how it plays out. It's preseason, so your opponents vary, um, the games can vary, but you know, it's gonna be a work, work in progress. And um, you know, I think the guys have taken it in pretty well. It's, it, it takes time. There is a little bit of discomfort anytime you introduce yeah. new ideas, but that's, for me as a coach, that's where you start to see growth. And um, it's important to challenge them in that way. Do you want them, do you want players, we've heard this from just talking to coaches here in, in Florida, like, especially in build-up, giving players the ability to not stick to a script. Like, you know, we always build on the back. We always keep the ball on the ground. Is that based on what you're seeing opponents do differently? Or do you just want players to have the responsibility to figure it out on the fly? Um, well, I think, I think it starts with... You know, you know it's a philosophy. So for us, yeah. there's an understanding of, of what we're doing and why we're doing it, and then this is how we want to do it. And there's strategies game by game based on what the opponent's trying to do. But you know, our, our idea of why you build out and why you play and use the goalkeeper is to gain advantages. And some teams will press with seven, so they'll try to match yeah. you everywhere on the field, and your only advantage is a goalie. So if you want to have the ball, you're going to have some level of risk when you want to break an opponent in high press situations, build up from goalkeeper for us. So do they bring five, do they bring six, do they bring seven? That's for our players and over time how they can identify that and then how they can find the right solutions inside that. Game by game, that's different based on what the opponents, how they're pressing. So that's kind of what we'll work on in the last little details of the strategy inside of the game game match um, or a, a match plan. So. But the starting point in preseason and onboarding these guys is getting them comfortable with, with being in those areas of the field and, and being under pressure. And also, you make mistakes. What's the recovery plan? And you make mistakes, you know, don't lose sight of the bravery and, you know, the responsibility that's, that's needed. This, you know, we, both years, we, we can show plenty of examples where we go from goalkeeper to shot creation in, yeah. in three, four passes or 15 passes. So it's, to us, that's, that's important. But... There's level of risk and there's level of the quality of the opponent. So 
we don't have to do it all the time. We can play over if we need to, and if we want to push up and play out, we can do that as well. So that's kind of the growth I think that I think the players have seen in a good way. It's, they have to make those decisions on the field. They can't hear me on the yeah, sideline yeah, in our yeah. stadium, so it's yeah. getting them to understand the roles and responsibilities inside the game. And now they got a problem solve and make decisions based on how we how we trained them um, and taught them along. Do you think it's interesting to me? I mean, it, it does seem like I'm just curious if you think kind of a dogmatic head coach can work in MLS. It seems like the identities of teams, tactically or the way they play, has gotten a little more fluid in recent years. Um, you know, what, you know, as a tactician, what is it like to coach in MLS? It seems like you do have to have that flexibility a little bit, you know? I think it helps. I think um, you have to be clear with your ideas. I think you also have to acknowledge what the qualities of the players are. You can't, um, you can't stretch them if, if, they're, if they're not capable of it. And it's, I, I say that with the idea last year, we pulled back a little bit on certain elements of our game, knowing that we were, um, we probably weren't as good building up from our goalkeeper. So we, we minimized that a little bit. You know, Ruben had certain qualities that were extremely good and certain qualities that he wasn't as comfortable with. So, you know, seeing that and recognizing that, it wasn't a must in our, to sit there and build up from goalkeeper all the time, or goalkeeper. So, you know, you, 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 you have to um, certainly be aware of, of your players, their strengths, their comfortability, um, and then obviously the, the situations of the game. But I think our goal this year is to just keep evolving subtly without, without, I talk about we're pouring a, you know, a cup of, we're filling our players up with information. We just have to be mindful that we don't overflow and now cause chaos or cause yeah. confusion. So that's kind of where we've started in this preseason. Now we want to keep on boarding and refine, play, review, refine, and, and just try to keep enhancing it, make it better. Josh, but year three in every sport, every big sport, year three is like really important sure. for, for coaches, for clubs, especially a, a new team. So with that being said, now with foreign players, like, is there more expectation on, on Austin in this third year? I think, yeah, I think inherently the way that we finished last year, there's yeah. much more expe expectation in year three than there was year two. I think that was well documented. We, where we were in year one and what the expectation was year two. Um, we've grown from that. I think you know, managing what that expectation realistically, internally and externally is, is gonna be the tricky part. Of course, when you get to the conference finals and you lose, there's this expectation that you'll just simply get back there. Uh, I know and our staff knows, many of the players know that's not, it's not that easy. So combined with Champions League, Leagues Cup, Open Cup, regular season, we could be looking at 45 to 55 games easily if we progress in any of those. So building depth is a big part of it. I think we have okay depth. Uh, you know, again, I mentioned some of the players that we lost we had to place, but you know, we're still three years in. Teams that have constantly built and changed and um, brought in quality, moved quality when necessary. I think that's you know, that's also for us in the next year, two years. We gotta we gotta keep that in mind, and um, we're we're in a, we're in a, a good place. But it's it's a fickle league, as we know. You yeah. can be you know, one of the top teams one year, and, 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 and certainly struggling the next year. And it's form, it's health. Um, a lot of that goes into play. But complacency and um, you know, being content with what year two was is, is, is not something that I'm, I'm resting on, and nor are our players. So we've got to keep pushing. We've got to keep trying to get better. Um, we know that the rest of the league is getting better, and, and we too have to evolve with that. And um, it'll be challenging. People will look at us, you know, maybe in a slightly different way, you know, but we still have to go perform at home in a way just like everyone else. You, uh, you mentioned the number of games 
obviously, I think you start playing MLS in 97, 98, something like that. Left, came back. You probably sampled several of the different postseason formats yeah. they've tinkered with. Yeah. Um, hasn't been announced, but it seems obvious enough they're going to go to best of three this year. What do you make of that change? What do you make of the additional games? Would you like to see the league maybe refine some of the roster regulations, increase the cap, something to give you more depth? Yeah, I think there's a lot in that. There's a, it's, a, it's a great question going forward. I think the league has continued to evolve. The Apple deal has provided probably a number of new pathways that we're going we're gonna to discover along the way here. Adjusting the playoff format, I think, is still up in the air. What we've had last year, I thought, the last couple of years has been has been been quite good for the league. Yeah. The level of intensity, the quality of those games, the importance of you know 90 minutes and you're out is is given um, you know, certainly a, a real clear enjoyment from a fan's point of view aesthetically and also from a player's point of view. But, but we understand the league, you know, does make changes and along the way, I think. Players and staffs will have to adjust. I don't think it's been formalized yet, but you know, I think we, there's good discussions. I'm in some of those meetings with, with the other coaches in, in the league on that. So, um, however it comes about, I think the main things we talk about as coaches are maintaining the quality and the safety for the players. Mm -hmm. um, you know, still keeping in mind what the game looks like globally um, to, to, to maintain some consistency with what's with what's out there. We are MLS. We are slightly different how we build our teams from a roster standpoint, how we have playoffs, but. Um, I think it's important to maintain the integrity as well. So, I think you were talking in a car, you're a very popular coach, you're a well-known coach, you're well-respected, you're young though, and but now you're a CSO as well. You've got a big role, front office role, essentially. How has that changed how you approach the job? And what is it, how are you combining those two roles presently? Um, I mean, I'd say I share that responsibility with a few people. Sean Rubio, um, Andrew Lau, who's our director of sporting operations. Um, you know, and obviously there is a change. There's no change in my title. I'm the head coach, and the, the primary focus is, is is our performance and our results as a first team. Um, you know, I've assumed a, a few more you know, responsibilities inside that with with um, with Claudio leaving. So. I share that with Sean Rubio, so we probably have a bit more dialogue on the daily, um, talking to agents and players a little bit more than, than previously, um, talking about where we are from a roster standpoint, budget standpoint. Um, so there's there's a, a little bit more time spent in that area, but uh, I'm also quite mindful of you know the importance of our first team and giving that the attention that it needs because that's ultimately what we're all here for. And um, you know, connections with our you know, our second team in the academy, which I have an invested interest in my son. I have another son that's part of that, but these are our future players. So I'm, I was out there prior to this you know, extension of my role. And I think all of that just falls under, you know, certainly my my position as head coach and maybe now some of being the CSO, but um, I, I would be involved in that probably otherwise. And it's maybe just a little bit more so now. And, um, it's good for me to see it and hear it and understand it a bit better. I'm not trying to, to say that's what my role will be going forward, but I think it's healthy. It's, it's also showing a, an ability to, to grow and understand things in, a, in another way and share responsibilities with Sean Rubio. And He's also more intimately involved in hearing it more directly from myself and the rest of our staff. So I think it's healthy for our organization. And um, you know, it's a slight adjustment, but we, we keep grinding, we keep pushing as we always have. It's work regardless of, um, of title, and I think that's really, really important. Did, with getting Jersey to sign, were you part of, was that sort of like one of the first situations where 
the two titles were really important to be part of the, that, that negotiation? Or was that, were you going to be in that negotiation regardless? I think I'd be part of those negotiations or was part of those negotiations regardless. Um, I have very good open discussions with, with Sebastian. I think he is a very unique player in that way. He's a, a mature player, uh, a humble player. Um, I don't think that the public sees just how charismatic and, and personable he is, but he is an... You know, Why is that? Why do you think we don't see that? Well, I think it's part of... And maybe you do. And maybe, um, it, for me, he's... He, he keeps to our circle sort of a bit more. I don't think he goes in front of me and speaks English, which he certainly can, and I and I and I understand that. There's things that can be lost in translation, but he's um uh, he's a fantastic leader inside our group just based on on that. His personality, certainly the way that he works and plays, um, and I think you know giving him you know a new contract and rewarding him for. for, for phenomenal first 18 months is indicative of, of who he is as a human being. There's the quality, then there's the character. Um, and, you know, I think both those things married up really, really well. And once there was, you know, an interest in doing it, you know, I think Anthony would give, I have to give Anthony three court. He was, you know, we, we moved quickly on this. He is our, our, our superstar. He is a superstar in the league. Um, and there is interest from abroad. Let's, let's get this settled quickly and, and have him focusing on the year as he, as he, um, as he wants to do as well. So I think you know, those were discussions, I think, even at the end of last year, moving into early part of this year. But um, we're delighted to have it done, and he's, he's extremely excited to be here for the, for the long term. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm interested to, to ask you, uh, MLS still is a league that likes to have its sort of glamour teams, the LAFCs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Austin is like a mid-market team, obviously, locally really resonated. Uh, how do you view the ceiling of a franchise like Austin that feel like, you know, you could go out and win three MLS Cups and there would still people would just view it as like a mid-level, yeah. you know. And you can't control that, I don't think. I think the, the way... You know, I think the way that that we've been trying to build this organically as a club, with the fans, with with our ownership, with marketing, with the way we play, I think all of that plays a role. In it. And you know, I think, of course, Miami City, New York City, LA, you know, Seattle to some degree, but um, I think our ceiling is, is what we can make of it. I don't think we, we put ourselves in a box. I don't think we create a ceiling the way you create. Um, you know, 
iconic teams is is by winning championships. LA Galaxy didn't get there just by being in LA. LAFC is not going to get there just by being in LA. They got to they got to win championships, and they've pushed to do that. We 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 have in two years been in the conference final and and, and shown the ability, the credibility. Uh, now we got to show the consistency. And if you want to be looked at in that way, I think that's a big big part of it. How you can year over year be competing Open Cup, Leagues Cup, Champions League. Playoffs. And the biggest, the biggest mark in our league is is winning trophies. So in order to do that, making playoffs each year, giving yourself a chance um, to play for trophies is is what will put us there. And, you know, it's going to be a challenging year three. I don't, um, I don't, I don't doubt that. You mentioned year three is probably a big year. I, I, I echo that. Um, and we we want to start well. We want to start strong. We want to maintain momentum throughout the season. But there's a lot of games. Um, you know, you need good health. You need a little bit of good luck. And we got to keep building our roster. We have to keep enhancing. The best teams in our league do not rest. They they keep churning and bringing in talent, and moving out guys that can't. So those are things that we got to keep in mind over the next um, six months, twelve months, eighteen months. So what does recruitment look like? Because you mentioned, yeah, you can win five championships in your dynasty. Right? You're, the, yeah. you're the galaxy, but they also had big time players. Like is is Austin in the market of bringing in? the high-profile global sort of name. I mean, to me, Drusty is like huge in South America. Sure. And he was very good yeah. in Europe. Like, and you talk about his personality in Argentina, like he's very outgoing, very oh, yeah. engaging. And like, yeah. He's done FaceTime with different players and it's they're yeah. hilarious. But is Austin, I mean, are you moving into that realm or? We hope so. Yeah. I think we hope so. I think the signing of Sebastian is, is again, for the for the now, but also for the future. You, you mentioned players know who Sebastian Juicy is, both in Europe and, and certainly South America. Our league has done a great job um, utilizing South America and, and many of the countries of uh, the leagues in South America. So he is also part of the recruitment, our stadium, the way we play, our fans. Hopefully those are also forms of recruitment. But when you can play alongside the best player in the league, in the best stadium, in front of the best fans, it's um, it's an an uplifting experience and it's also why we've done such a strong job of recruiting from inside the league with free agency and, and other other opportunities and mechanisms it's a it's it's an enjoyable place to come play and most players enjoy the way that we play so to, to keep adding stars like Sebastian Juicy while it's 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 desirable it's it's also going to be the right thing for, for ownership and for our team um, Emiliano I expect to have a solid strong year he's a very good player and his onboarding as he's even had more success now in preseason I think we've seen we got to continue to to utilize uh, the, the certainly the YPSs in our league also continue to develop our, our young players you know Danny Pereira is a is a highly capable young player Owen Wolf is a highly capable young player Z's uh, Kalmanich is one of our YPSs, starting to show again a bit more promise, and um, Sofiane is good. So we, we've got some young players as well. We've got to keep enhancing with high-quality players like Sebastian, um, but also continuing to evolve and, and, and be competitive and, and be at the forefront of, of what this league is about. Is it strange to mention your son, like, first and last name like that? He's a good player. I like him. I don't think it's. I don't think it's strange. It's just. It is what it is. I think he's been in this space along with me as a coach for a long time. So you did, it was so natural. Just own wolf. Yeah. Well, he's another player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last thing we do, or I do, or the players would do, is, is preferential. What he's done is what he's earned, and I talked about that. We went to PSV, and it was um, on one of their podcasts, and he. It, you get the opportunity based on how you how you train, how you prepare, how now you take your, your few minutes and make them meaningful minutes. And, and he did that. And the team had good success when he was introduced. I think it's important for young players. You, you bring them into a group 
where there's a solid foundation and it's it's not you know, bring in five fresh guys you bring in one with the, with the, the scope of a, of a very solid group and, and as he saw minutes I think we saw you know, certain we, we saw potential but this progress has been good and um, we expect that to continue this year he's had a good start with the 19s and the 20s and and now he's got to manage and feel what it's like to be a bigger contributor and, and, and maintain consistency and growth Absolutely. we're gonna move on real fast but not to be like Proud dad moment. Yeah. But Ty, I've seen Tyler yeah. up close too. I mean, I'm in Atlanta. Yeah. He looks stronger. Yeah, he's, he's a strong stronger. kid to begin I with. I mean, to begin with, yeah. you already had like Roberto Carlos thighs. Yeah, he's. A, he looks, <laughs> I agree. He's I'm it. like, these kids look different than me. I'm like, yeah. get, make sure those quads, hamstrings. Look. I, 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 I always had like trunks. Yeah. And then I saw him like a couple weeks ago. I was out of training. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, he's a strong kid. For him, it's understanding what's his position, what's his role inside yeah. the group. I think. Oh, and we've—he has a, they are totally different players. So um, Tyler's vertical; he gets in front of always a good goal scorer. But you got to validate that inside your group. And you know, once you score one, I think it, it, it can manifest to more. And it's challenging. Atlanta spends 60, 70 million on the attackers. It's going to be tough to see consistent minutes. So for him, that's going to be the challenge. And where he is in the next couple of years, how much opportunity he gets—that's that's the challenge. But you know, I, we're quite candid. You got to perform when you yeah. get the opportunity. And if you don't. You know, you, you, you miss, you, you start to lessen those opportunities, but but he's doing okay. Yeah, just a, a few more. We'll let you all go. Um, it, it's it's so funny. Not that Twitter, Instagram's real life, but you had a you became like a the laminated sure. this thing last year became sort of an online. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glad I could help out in that space. Yeah, yeah really yeah. strong sure in my you, Instagram. I'm sure you were like thrilled to we see yourself you. open. I, I don't think. Yeah. I don't. I don't um, do a ton in there. <laughs> Ryan keeps me abreast of all the <laughs> yeah, yeah. nonsense that's um, going I'm on. I'm curious, you know, and uh, really to ask you more about the content of the card. I mean, do players respond to that sort of thing? Um, and does the average Austin FC player give a shit what like Andrew Weeby thinks that Austin will? You know, is that is, as a, you as a player? Yeah. Is it something that you respond? I think to? players pay attention to some to certain. Yeah. You know, I think now is different. When I was a player, no Twitter, no Instagram, no. I don't course, know what yeah. they. Yeah. So it's a lot different today than, yeah. than when I grew up. The laminated, you know, whatever we want to call that predictions was Felipe, and it was Felipe in a nutshell. I mean, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, oh yeah, so. Felipe. Felipe was. I mean, he's great yeah. like that. Like when yeah, you yeah. think of him at his core, the antagonist, kind of the villain. Yeah, yeah. How he's provoking. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. he, that's, and it's to provoke discussion inside our group. And he would do that in training, and you know, he would talk about it. And my like, sure, man, illustrate that. So we had it. We had it in a few different spaces inside the building, and and that was in February. I think we did it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. how that thing kept coming about and coming out. You know, I think I think once we once we showed our kind of our teeth throughout the first part of the year, it, it wasn't such a big discussion. But early on it was look, this is just a reminder where we are. It's not for me to you know, I wasn't I wasn't refuting it. It's just this is where where we are, this is what we're thought of and yeah. um, it's just a reminder that we have a lot of work and yeah. you know this is the level of belief that people have in us right now. And the way you change that is that we go out and we perform. And sure. you know Felipe would keep that flame going as he always could. I think he probably still is on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Never let it go. You know. He's a unique player. He was extremely yeah. good for us from that standpoint. The emotional side, yeah. you know, provoking, discussion, poking people to get them a little more artistic. Absolutely. Playing the game inside the game. Yeah. He was, um, and for me it was just funny. Like that's him having a little bit of, of fun with media as well. And yeah. you know, yeah. that's what he did to players. So it was like from afar I'm like watching this unfold and I'm like, yep. That's, that's yeah, I always enjoyed him with DC. It's fun to watch. Yeah. You know, always 
He's the ultimate troll. Yeah. yeah. And he yeah. interacts with us. He'll interact with us on Twitter. So yeah. that's yeah. great. Yeah. It's great. Like, I'm no. like, it's, it's good to see someone that has a sense if of You can handle it. I yeah. think that's important. Yeah, totally like, as players, totally. do you have the maturity? Do you have kind of, you know, the moxie to cut to read between the lines and not get so caught up where it's distracting and I say that to all our players be mindful of media they're there to support project and you know present our game but if, if, if it gets you emotional and you can't handle that then I would steer clear of it but I was never worried yeah what you make of we're in Miami to do obviously talk to a bunch of teams but also to do maybe a bigger picture story on Messi's possible arrival yeah. here still getting figured out what do you make of his potential impact in the league? I mean, is it like a LA Beckham type moment, or is it is it something a little different? I mean, that would be it would be a thing you'd have to see three years down the road. What Beckham did transcended the sport to some mm-hmm. degree, and you know, as far as how we now evolved out of that, there was obviously uncertainty with what what the impact of David Beckham was going to be. But I think it was felt, and, and then it was even, you know, if you look back, it kind of that. That watershed moment. That was a big one. You know, yeah. bringing, bringing that evolution to our league and the players that we were trying to recruit. And then it just spawns as our league does. We find new mechanisms, new ways to keep enhancing the quality, develop youth, um, be reputable inside the global game. And Messi is is the game globally. I mean, there is no better player than Messi ever. I think that's you know what he's established himself as. That's that's consistency. That's health. That's championships. It would be a huge moment. How impactful and what that means. In, in future generations of MLS, you know, that would that would have to be seen you know, as he gets here, how long he stays, sure. and, and what comes of that moment. But you know, as a league where he's where he is playing right now, the level that he is still able to sustain, I think most people would would, would love and enjoy that. Do you think the the short term with Apple and the global push, which I think is very positive for the league, but is, is the short term growth and success? Of it? MLS so engine too much on a player like Messi on getting Messi? No, I don't think so. I think the amount of respect that our league now has globally, the viability inside our, you know, the United States from a commercial standpoint, the infrastructure with academies, stadiums, um, youth development, how many young players now we have sold abroad to the biggest clubs in the world. I don't think we're hinging. David Beckham, there was a moment where maybe the league is, yeah. is a little bit in, in, in flux to say, but. Um, there were certainly big moments along the way. I, I've been in since '98. You were mentioned, and there were moments where it was teetering on collapse and growth. And now, where we are in a growth standpoint, I mean, we are in the last three to five years. What we've captured as a league, um, commercially, tactically, um, the evolution I think is it's in a very, very good place. And we're becoming more and more competitive with the best leagues in the world. There's no doubt about it. The players that we're getting, the ages that we're getting them at, developing young internationals and selling them for the money that we're selling I think you see more teams around the world looking to our league now and that's a good thing just uh, maybe like two more real quick sure. ones um, so obviously you're involved in the US program player assistant etc I'm just curious what you think the profile what is the profile of the next national team coach I mean they obviously have said Greg is yeah. still out there as a candidate seems like maybe not I mean if you just design your ideal sort of from a DNA at a DNA level, you know, like what, yeah. who, who is that guy to lead us in the 2026? Yeah, I think it's it's when I think of my time in the national team. As I exited the national team, I became a fan and a supporter of the national team. In 
constantly saying, when are we going to be a team that can now go to this competition and really compete? You know, not just hold on for dear life, look for set pieces, look for transition, have the capabilities, have the tactical acumen, have the technical quality. I think we saw that evolution in the last four years. I mean, real evolution. When you go and play England and dominate, when you go against Holland and they're adjusting to you, um, the flexibility of defensive structures, the flexibility of offensive structures, it looked like a club team. And that's, that's I remember a coach saying that, that's, that's tactical aptitude. That's utilizing the players that you have. I think, I think we have to have coaches that still fit that ideology. Um, you know, it's, it, it can't just be built around muscle and hustle and defending and, and, and set pieces. It's, you gotta have, um, one, the education to influence that, to develop that, the ability to recruit players as, as I think, you know, when I think of Bob Bradley and Bruce Arena and Jurgen Klinsmann and Greg Berhalter, the ability to now galvanize people from outside our, our region that, that are potential, um, you know, U.S. players. I think that's also a big part of it. So there's a lot of things that I think, you know, Greg, Greg has done extremely well. And, you know, if it's built around success and how that, that program has developed in four years, you know, I'd like to see another four years of, of, of what that looked like because it, it was quite promising. Winning competitions, competing against the best in the world, and again, encouraging and developing some of the best young talent that, that we've ever seen. It might be an obvious question, but is national team an aspiration for you? No, it's not. I mean, for me, it's, it's continuing to carve out being a, a coach and developing ideas. And, you know, I think national team coaches did very difficult. In one season, I could play 45 games. As a national team coach, you have four years, you may only play 45 games. So it's not, you know, there's probably more than that, but the idea, it, it's challenging as a national team coach. There's such little time and small windows with the players. And 10 years from now, would, would it change? I, I don't know. But for me, the focus is Austin FC and um, you know, continuing to develop the ideas, um, to develop our players. Uh, to provide for, you know, for me it's one, if not the best organization in the league. The ownership is incredible, the fans are awesome, the stadium and, and the way we play is, is, is everything to me and, and, and hopefully to our whole organization.